There are times when I feel sad, and it's often those times when I feel alone. I feel lonely. I feel disconnected from people, and, you know, this might be saying almost the same thing. I feel disconnected from what's really vital in my life. Perhaps sometimes you feel that as well. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS. This is the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a book that has moved them and a book that has shaped them. And my guest today is Himena Vengacheya, and she has unique insights into connection. She works in the tech industry as a quote-unquote user researcher. If you're not sure what that is, I, I wasn't sure either. But she's in charge of learning how people use technology and whether or not it's meeting their needs. And she's done that at Twitter, and at LinkedIn, and at Pinterest, so lots of big Silicon Valley firms. But, you know, Himena is not just a tech geek. She's an artist and a facilitator and a writer. And she's expanded the reach of the skills she's mastered as a researcher. As I was developing these skills of learning how to be a good facilitator of a conversation, what kinds of questions to ask, also how to listen and create space for others to show up and share what they need to share, it did become clear that you know, these could easily transfer over into uh, meeting new people and wanting to have a better conversation or wanting to deepen a relationship with someone that we already know well. As Himena started bringing these techniques into her own personal life, she realized just how profound and powerful these techniques were. So she created the Life Audit. It helps people understand how their lives are shaping up, not just in a kind of good or bad paradigm, but instead by reflecting on the values and the hopes and the desires and the dreams and the passions that they have. Himena calls it the gut check. Am I, am I living in a way that's in accordance with my values? Am I taking steps towards those bigger picture goals that I'm interested in? Do I have the right people in my corner to help me get there? So how do you conduct one of these life audits? Well, Himena takes a very analog approach for someone with her feet in Silicon Valley. She recommends sticky notes. And then when you've captured all the things on them that you care about, you can look at where you're actually spending your time. And you'll start seeing some interesting trends. Oh, that's interesting. Like I was aware of these dreams and maybe giving them more weight than this set of goals or values. Um, and then, you know, again, kind of step back and look at that and then be able to chart out like, okay, this, like literally this set of post-its is a reflection of what I'm trying to do. Now that said, a wall of sticky notes can be pretty daunting. I've <laughs> faced that myself and that's when the glue works. Sometimes the glue doesn't work. So you've got this fluttering paper everywhere, but you know, there's so many action items, so many things to think about, no clear way to begin to tackle them. So Himena encourages people to categorize things, not just by type, and I think this is a brilliant twist, but by time, she puts it on a kind of a timeline. Is this something near term? Is this something I want to take on near term? Is this a long-term aspiration that's going to take potentially years uh, and, and I need to hit these other smaller <laughs> steps first before I can get there? Um, or is this something that I want to carry with me every day. And that's really where your value system comes in. That's something that you want to be embodying and living every day. And that can 
guide you towards which of those goals make sense to take on for you as an individual. So I like to look at time frame as at least one of the core ways to differentiate, you know, a long-term desire from um, this is a goal that I'm going to start working on now, and it's going to lead me on this larger, longer path. Now, the life audit is so helpful for setting people up to listen to and reconnect with themselves. But Hemina's book, Listen Like You Mean It, turns that skill outward. The subtitle of the book is Claiming the Lost Art of True Connection. And I asked Hemina what she means by that and why it's a lost art. So what I mean by true connection is the type of connection that you feel at a human-to-human emotional level. And that's, you know, if you've had a conversation where you walk away feeling seen, known, understood, accepted, or you feel that for the other person, you feel like, wow, I really, I kind of understand them a little bit better. Um, And maybe I understand myself a a little bit better through this conversation, through this process. That's what I mean by connection. Um, And I think when you have it, it opens a whole world up in terms of your relationships because the better you know someone, like truly, the mm-hmm. easier it becomes to work with them. Um, if it's a colleague or the closer you become as a friend or, you know, all of these these connections just can become so much deeper. And I think it's lost to some degree because most of us don't operate at that level in our conversations or in our relationships. Um, And I think there's a number of reasons for why that is. I think it's partly this particular cultural political moment um, certainly hasn't, uh, you know, created necessarily a space where people are leaning into that. Um, I think like technology and, and our use of social media has mediated our conversations in a different way. Um, certainly in, in the U S in particular, you know, I think there's very much a culture of me first rather than other centered. So there's lots of reasons Mm -hmm. why I think we're kind of losing this. Um, but I mean, the good thing is, you know, and part of why I wrote the book is because I think you can return to that kind of connection. Is there a doubt that if you get good at listening, it means that people stop hearing your voice. You know, um, like I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a straight white guy, overeducated, and I quite like hearing my voice. <laughs> and I don't, and you know, just statistically, I'm more likely to be yapping away because I'm used to it. Um, and I have that privilege. Um, if you're not in that position of privilege that I have, you know, I can imagine that one of the reasons you're like, look, I, I, I've been listening all my life. <laughs> I need to, I need people to hear what I'm saying. I need to be talking. How do you help balance people balance any anxiety they might have around if I'm listening, I'm not being heard? It's such an important question, and you know, I think it's it's important to approach this investment in listening and know that. The goal is not to become what I call a listening martyr, which is where you become a vessel for someone else, right? And Mm. you're just receiving them. And you're so good at listening that people (laughs) kind of are attracted to you for that. And you're just, you know, yeah, you're a vessel for them. In some ways, that's 
really what a therapist <laughs> can right. can be can be there for or, or another kind of listening professional but that's not necessarily the role that you want to lean into in your everyday relationships for the reasons that you mentioned of you know it's really important for you to have your voice heard too and frankly connection comes when both parties are participating and when both parties right feel heard so it is a give and take and i think that you know as you're able to focus on listening and create a different kind of relationship, you know, in some ways, I think it, it comes down to modeling that behavior, right? The more that I do that and show you what that's like, I think for most people, they're going to clue into, oh, something interesting is happening here and feel connected <laughs> and want to return the favor in some way. And so I think that's right. really important. Um, and, you know, if that's not happening, there's, many things that you can do to cut a conversation short and say, hey, I got to go um, if you're really not getting that. <laughs> that might be the key takeaway from this entire our conversation is here's how you exit a conversation that's not much of a conversation. But actually, this is a really nice segue, I think, into um, you telling us about the book that you've chosen for us to read today. Himina, what have you um, picked for us? Sure. So the book that I'll be reading from is Reclaiming Conversation. The Power of Talk in a Digital Age by Sherry Turkle. And it's a relatively new book. I think it's um, maybe five or six years old. Um, how, how did it come into your life? How did you discover it? Well, so I've always been interested in the intersection of people and technology, which is probably why I was drawn to user research as mm -hmm. a as a field uh, to begin with. And Sherry Turkle is a professor at MIT, and this is like exactly what she looks at is <laughs> how do people relate to technology and how is that changing? And so several years ago, I had read her earlier book, Alone Together, and mm. that kind of opened me up to her body of work. And so when this book came out, it caught my eyes because of the, you know, the that intersection that we're talking about, but also specifically because yeah. of conversation, um, because I think that's just such an important channel for connecting. And so I was really interested to see what she had to say from a technological perspective. I'm, I'm keen to know what two pages you've read, but what you've just said, I want to ask a question, which is, um, is there something that differentiates, can you point to something that differentiates a standard conversation from a great conversation? Something where you're like, ah, oh, you know, Normally I'm at six out of 10 or six and a half out of 10, but for some reason that conversation was nine out of 10. It was, it had a kind of magic to it. Are, th are there elements that you've noticed to go, this is it, this, this, this is what you're looking for? Yes. Yeah, so I think that most of the time we're operating under what I call surface listening. So mm. this is when we're hearing enough of the conversation to be polite, to nod and smile. You know, you're, you're catching a little bit of, you're catching the literal. Um, yeah. The really great conversations, I think, are when you're catching what's happening at the literal, and then you're also catching the subtext or meaning, yeah. and then you're also catching emotion. What is happening for this other person emotionally? Um, what does this topic mean to this other person? What What am I learning about this other person? And right. I think the the difference there is in, in how we listen. And one of the most important things that differentiates those is bringing in what I call a listening mindset, and that's mm. humility, curiosity, and empathy. 
And those three ingredients, when you set the intention to bring them in, completely change the nature of the conversation. How do I become literate at hearing emotion? Like it's, it's one thing to say, you know, you, you, you listen, you get a sense of how that other person is feeling, but you, but if you don't have a vocabulary or you don't know what to, you, you know, you just deaf to that. How do you start becoming less deaf to what might be going on at that level? I think that's where some of these qualities come in. So humility mm. is when you're really, you're there to learn from the other person. And right. right. I think that that puts the other person in the driver's seat um, in a way that often we come into conversation with an opinion or a preconceived notion (laughs) or an assumption or a point we want to prove, you know, the list goes on and on. And so the first step is saying, okay, all of those things can be true, but I'm going to set them aside because I'm here to learn from this other person. Curiosity is what's really allowing you to go deeper. And I think this is particularly useful when let's say the person is talking about something that you're not naturally interested in. <laughs> it's really easy right. in those moments just to tune out. You know, if someone's saying something right. that we are, we're like, oh, I love that movie. Great. We can listen. If it's something that we're not that interested in, we often are, you know, our mind is elsewhere or we're trying yeah. to figure out how we can change the conversation topic to something we do like. And so it's important yeah, yeah. to, ask instead like okay what else can i learn here what like what is this person mm. what again what can they teach me um and you know find the common thread that can keep you engaged in conversation whatever that may be nice. and then empathy is that it's sort of like the if the doorway is being cracked open empathy you know <laughs> opens the door even more to being able to get to that emotional place that you're talking about And that's really understanding another person's experience. It doesn't mean that you have to share in that exact experience. It just means that you, at the core, can relate on a level of feelings. And so, for instance, if someone says, you know, um, gosh, I'm having a really hard time with my manager. I feel like they're undermining me or, or whatever it may be. Maybe you've never had a manager who's undermined you. But (laughs) you know what it feels. Yes, (laughs) you're lucky. (laughs) But you might know what it feels like to be in an environment where you don't feel safe or surrounded by people who you're afraid of or, you know, feeling unrecognized for your efforts. Right. Mm. And so it's it's kind of zooming out a little bit and and removing yourself from their exact scenario, but feeling into Oh gosh, what might that feel like? Oh, you know, I know what shame feels like, or I know what yeah. embarrassment feels like. And that's, you know, that's really what you're looking for. Thank you. And I'm sorry I took you away from uh, digging into your two pages. Let me take you back <laughs> to okay. the straight book, Reclaiming Conversation. Um, how did you end up, what pa- two pages did you choose and how did you end up choosing them? Yeah. So I chose two pages from a chapter called um, The Flight from Conversation. And Mm. this chapter is really um, exposing the problem, I would say, um, and the the depth of that problem when it comes to having these great conversations that we're talking about. And then specifically, the section that I'm pulling out is called The Three Wishes, and it talks about our mobile devices and the three wishes that we think that they will be granting us. Ooh, this sounds juicy. 
So, um, <laughs> Himena Vengachea, reading from Sherry Turkle's 2015 book, Reclaiming Conversation. Himena, over to you. The Three Wishes Our mobile devices seem to grant three wishes, as though gifts from a benevolent genie. First, that we will always be heard. Second, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. And third, that we will never have to be alone. And the granting of these three wishes implies another reward, that we will never have to be bored. But in creative conversations, in conversations in which people get to really know each other, you usually have to tolerate a bit of boredom. People often struggle and stumble when they grapple with something new. Conversations of discovery tend to have long silences. But these days, people often tell me that silence is a lull from which they want to escape. When there is silence, quote, it's good to have your phone. There are always things to do on your phone. But before we had our phones, we might've found these silences full rather than boring. Now we retreat from them before we'll ever know. I said that I began my research planning to investigate the sentiment I'd rather text than talk. Technology makes possible so many new kinds of connections on email, text, and Twitter, just for a start. I thought I would explore what makes them appealing and unique. But soon my interviews across generations put another issue at center stage. What people say to each other when they are together is shaped by what their phones have taught them, and indeed by the simple fact that they have their phones with them. The presence of always on and always on you technology, the brute fact of gadgets in the palm or on the table, changes the conversations we have when we talk in person. As I've noted, people with phones make themselves less vulnerable to each other and feel less connected to each other than those who talk without the presence of a phone on the landscape. In the midst of our great experiment with technology, we are often caught between what we know we should do and the urge to check our phones. Across generations, we let technology take us away from conversation, yet yearn for what we've lost. We reach for a moment of correction, an opportunity to recapture things we know by heart. When we invest in conversation, we get a payoff in self-knowledge, empathy, and the experience of community. When we move from conversation to mere connection, we get a lot of unintended consequences. By now, several generations of children have grown up expecting parents and caretakers to be only half there. Many parents text at breakfast and dinner, and parents and babysitters ignore children when they take them to playgrounds and parks. In these new silences at meals and at playtime, caretakers are not modeling the skills of relationship, which are the same as the skills for conversation. These are above all empathic skills. You attend to the feelings of others. You signal that you will try to understand them. Children too text rather than talk with each other at school and on the playground. Anxious about the give and take of conversation, young people are uncertain in their attachments and anxious in their attachments, young people are uncertain about conversation. Oh, I feel quite sad hearing that. Because um, I, I see myself in those pages and, you know, and I and I'm, wasn't brought up, I'm, I'm old enough to have not been brought up in that experience and I'm still noticing myself retreating into my phone at times where I might otherwise be present to somebody who's, who's with me. Um, what was it about this that struck a particular chord for you, Imina? 
I think, you know, I love the way that she charts out those three wishes. And mm. to me, when I read that, I just thought, this is like the human experience, like just the highest bar. It's like, yeah. we don't want to feel alone. We want to feel heard. And we expect it from these little computers <laughs> that we carry around in our pockets. It's like, it's completely absurd um, on some level. And then also completely understandable on another level, um, because these are so core to being alive, being a human, right, is wanting those things. Um, but I think deeply misplaced in some ways. Um, so that really struck me. And I think um, those are exactly the things that I re really believe you can get in part through conversation. So I was particularly mm -hmm. interested to see and to hear, you know, how those massive expectations are being put on our devices. And also, you know, this is sort of a preview. She goes into much more depth in the book, but a sort of preview of the ways in which that's kind of an impossible set of expectations. And we can't really get that from our devices. In fact, you, you get the opposite. You know, if you're on a device, you're not heard, nobody's paying attention to you and you're alone. So right. uh, it, it cuts the other way. One of the things that came up in your reading was um, the power of boredom. I'm, I'm wondering how or if you nurture boredom in your life and how do you protect that? Because it's an easy thing to run away from. Yes. So this is something that I've, I've thought about a lot um, and I've done some reading specifically on boredom. Um, I try and create spaces for myself where boredom is to be expected and, and in some ways it's the goal. And so I might do that by taking a walk and not taking my phone with me or mm. like kind of disciplining myself of, you know, that's a really beautiful landscape. I don't think I need to take a photo of it. Um, right. I think I'm just going to try and be present and like let my mind run. Um, and not listen to a podcast while I'm walking, for instance. It's sort of like I'm trying to turn off all of these inputs that are normally on during those moments. Um, I also find driving to be meditative, right? It's like mm. there's no I'm I'm just driving. I'm driving and I'm thinking. And I'm I'm sometimes, you know, mind wandering. And sometimes I'm really just concentrating on the road, depending on what the situation is. And that's <laughs> right. you know, that's actually kind of a good exercise in staying present that I think um, there are fewer and fewer moments in which we get to practice that, which is also kind of a crazy thing. But so that's what I try and do is I, I try and have these right. deliberate spaces where I, the goal is to just let my mind run. And what's the... <laughs> To say payoff makes it feel like it's a kind of overly transactional uh, design decision. But what's the consequence of um, allowing those moments to be part of your life, Himena? Well, I think firstly, they're calming, they're centering. Um, so I That's think nice. many of us are often responding, reacting. Um, right. to all of these inputs. And so there's a quieting that's ha that's happening in those moments. Mm. Um, and that's, it's, it's really just calming, you know, and it means that you can go into the next set of things a little bit more at ease, or maybe even a little more proactively instead of reactively. So right. I think that sort of 
reset button is useful. And then I think the other piece is that if you've ever had a problem, I know I've definitely had problems where I'm like, ah, I need to keep reworking this. (laughs) Like, you know, this, the chapter is not done or the idea is not fleshed out and you know, you're stuck and you, you really want to push through it's often better to just take a break and, and, and not a break where you're, you know, kind of scrolling on Twitter, but a break, like really have that reset moment. And so I think there's absolutely payoff there as well, where really your mind is still running, your mind is still working, even if you're not actively thinking about the problem, you know, it's, it's why people say their best ideas come in the shower (laughs) because you're not, you're not in front of a, a device, like trying to, you know, work it out. You're just letting your mind do that thinking sort of on your behalf. So I think those are two of the core things that um, are, are just great benefits. There's a, a wonderful story about an inventor who understanding the power of kind of pushing a problem into the kind of unconscious brain. He would um, set himself up in a chair, put a tin tray but on at his feet, um, put a rock between his knees, <laughs> set himself a problem and and nap. And then when his brainwaves move from the kind of, I'll, I'll get the brainwaves wrong, but maybe theta, which is kind of like half in, half out, to the deeper sleep. When he hits deeper sleep, his knees relax, the, the, st- the stone drops, he wakes up, he writes down the kind of connections his uh, subconscious mind is making. And um, I think you're pointing to something like that as well. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a real benefit there. I think one of our great fears, and you meant Sherry Turkle mentions this in the pages you read out, is loneliness. Um, what have you learned about navigating loneliness through writing your book and through living your life? Yeah, it's certainly one of the reasons that I was drawn to writing about the topic, because I do think, you know, I think we've probably heard the headlines of there's a loneliness epidemic and, mm-hmm. um, you know, loneliness is it's worse for you than smoking can be in some ways. It has right. all these um, negative health effects on you. And um, and I think it's it's scary, too, to think about like younger generations who seem to be coming up lonelier faster in some ways mm-hmm. than other generations. So. Yeah, I mean, that was a big for, a sort of driving force for me in terms of working on this material around listening, because I do think that it's hard to feel lonely when you feel understood and seen in a conversation. Um, and it's e- it can be easy, actually, to feel dismissed or um, not really prioritized or just not understood um, or accepted. And so in a, you know, in a small way, in a, in a day-to-day way, that's what I think listening can do is it can shift those feelings of inadequacy in a conversation to, oh, this person gets me like that. And that's just, if you're the person providing that for someone else, that's such an act of generosity in a way to give that to someone because it is rare. We don't always get that. And so you notice it when you feel that, you know, you, you can really tell like, well, this person is like literally giving me their undivided attention, right? Yes. Which is what we're talking about um, in part with technology. That's already super rare. So you <laughs> notice and, and you feel it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in my sort of 
small way of bringing this skill into our day to day. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, that's great. I haven't heard the phrase undivided attention for ages. And it has a it has an absolute new resonance <laughs> now that you say it just like that. Ahimana, what's my role to enable others to listen to me better? <laughs> like I get that one of the things is to be on one side of the conversation, which is mm -hmm. to give somebody your undivided attention, to be present at listening, not just to the literal, but to the emotional and the contextual so that you have a uh, you know an i thou relationship with them if you use the martin buber quote or the model um but there's something about um your obligations on the other side of the conversation in terms of how you show up uh, can you give me some guidance around how i can be a better person to listen to well i think one of the important things when it comes to conversation is to recognize that conversations come with needs. So mm -hmm. the other person may be bringing a need in and so are you. And so the goal is for each party to uncover those needs and help meet them. Or if you can't meet them, you know, find someone mm -hmm. who can or, or, or redirect in some way towards, towards um, an outcome that can meet those needs. And so, there's, you know, there's many techniques in which you can uncover someone else's need. What you're talking about is, well, how do I have my need met also? Right. And it's, you know, the advice I'll give will, will probably um, sound difficult, I think, because it sort of goes against the way we naturally <laughs> All of this is difficult. Up. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's all difficult. That's why it's so important. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that what I would say in terms of, you know, having your needs met is I do think the more you're able to show up for others, like the more um, it's sort of a loop, right? And it builds mm. on itself, you know, what you give to others, they'll, they'll give back to you. So I do think part of it is just practicing that empathetic listening, but also not being afraid to voice your needs. Mm. And often we, we think we're being explicit um, you know, this, so this is why we often argue, you know, we're like, well, but I told you that, like, I, you know, <laughs> I felt this way. And then the other person's like, well, no, you didn't actually say that. Right. right. So we talk around our needs a lot of the time, mm -hmm. um, which is really human. We all do it. Um, so my advice would be to try and hit that need a little bit sooner. Like you may still have to talk around that need before you can center in on it in part because many of us, that's kind of how we uncover the need. We, we don't totally know right. until we're talking through it. Um, but I think if you if you do know what you're trying to get out of the conversation or what you need, being able to express that is so important and so rare and really helps the other person. <laughs> and right. it, by helping the other person, it helps you. If you can say, um, I'm feeling really scared about this or I'm, I'm yeah. feeling, you know, I'm taking this big project on and I don't, I, I'm not sure I'm good enough to do this. Right? right. Like most of us will be like, Oh, this project is so stressful. Like, you know, I have to deal with X, Y, Z. And it's like, okay, well, what is it really that's happening here? Oh, okay. There's a deeper insecurity. Yeah. Um, to the extent that you're able to get closer to that feeling and get closer to communicating it, 
it does just op- it like it it changes the conversation. It opens it up in a different way, and it's not easy, but you can get there with you know some practice, I think, and, and the right conversation partner also. Um, I've I've got I, I've got one more question I want I, I want to wrap up with, but before. I do that. I want to ask you this as somebody who is a professional user researcher, who's thought a lot about asking questions and promoting conversation. What would you say to me to help me be a better interviewer in a conversation like this? What have you, I'm going to guess as part of you met watching this conversation and going, how's Michael doing? I've seen a bunch of podcast interviewers. What's Michael like? So what would you guide me on in terms of how I could show up? as a better interviewer? Well, I think you're doing a great job. Thank but you. But <laughs> because you've asked me for what, for something you could do, one thing that um, one thing that I think is helpful and specifically on the topic of asking questions is, mm. you know, you're asking open-ended questions, you're letting me respond and take the the question where where I want to take it, which is great and definitely something that I recommend. Something that you can do to take it a little deeper is just to create a little bit of a nudge to hear more. If there's an right. area that you you sense like, oh, that's kind of interesting. There might be more there. Um, mm. Or if you're not sure if like, oh, well, is, is there more there? Um, and right. that it's really, they're really small nudges. They, they just, you know, it sounds like, oh, say more about that. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> Oh, what else? Right? They're they're super short because they're just right. they're just a little way of going deeper, um, and you don't need to use them after every set of questions. But if there's an area that's been opened up, that it feels like oh, there might be more there. Just you know, leaning leaning into that in the moment. Yeah, that's really helpful and ironic because <laughs> the the one question I'm best known for from the coaching habit book that I wrote. Um, is the question, and what else? <laughs> because I'm like, you got to stay curious longer. you got to go deeper. So I'm like, Michael, take your own damn medicine. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, here's a, a final question I have for you, uh, Himena. Um, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation between you and me? I think one thing that I just want to put out there is how important self-awareness is in some of the practices that we're talking about. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about things like listening or staying present for someone, there's a tendency to think of them as, well, I'm doing this for someone else. This is about them. And it is, but so much of our ability to successfully do those things has to do with ourselves and has to do with how are we feeling that day in that given Mm. moment? You know, um, uh, is there something emotionally that's coming up for us personally, not just the other person that maybe is affecting our ability to show up in the way that we want to show up? Um, how do we usually hear other people? Like what is the filter that we tend to hear things through, which is a personal thing. Um, I call it a default listening mode. And so there are so many of these elements that come up in conversation that are really just deeply tied to what's going on for us in a given moment based on who we are. And if you can tune into that, then you can recognize it, adapt if it's not what's needed, 
um, let the other person in if that intimacy is there, if the relationship can handle that, you know? And so I just want to point that out as like, it's a sort of um, hidden ingredient, but it underlies so many of the techniques and so many of the things that you want to achieve in conversation. I wonder if over the last year or more of the pandemic, you've become more or less lonely. It's a confronting question. I realize that. I, well, I feel both. I feel more lonely and less lonely. Less lonely because I've actually really worked at it. You know, I've reached out and I've stayed in touch and I've tried to kindle connection with people. Also, and let's face it, I'm, I'm very lucky here. I'm just in a really nurturing relationship with my wife. And so being locked in a house with her for months is actually a good thing. But at the same time, more lonely because, well, you know, Zoom. <laughs> I, there's only so much that that through the screen experience can give you. I'm no raging extrovert by any means, but I do miss some in-person hang time, just being in present with another person or people in the same room and just seeing what unfolds. For me, this conversation with Himena really reminds me that many of us do feel lonely. And what I can do is to reach out to those people I care about and see if I can assuage some of that loneliness for them. And here's what's so wonderful. In doing that, I get to assuage some of that loneliness for me. If you'd like to learn more about Himena and her new book, you can certainly go to her website, Himena Vengachaya. I'm definitely going to spell this for you. It is X-I-M-E-N-A and then V-E-N-G-O-E-C-H-E-A.com. And that's all in word. And you'll find her newsletter. You can sign up to there and her social media handles as well. And thank you for being part of Two Pages with MBS, listening to these episodes, joining the membership site. If you've joined that, it's called Do Come Freeze. It's entirely free. There's just a ton of good extra free resources there for you. Thank you for telling people about the podcast. It's often easiest just to recommend an individual episode. So if there's been one or more episodes that you've listened to and gone, oh, I think X or Y would quite enjoy that, please do pass the word on. And thank you also if you've taken the time to give us a review on whatever your podcast app might be. As you all know, that social proof really matters. It helps people go, oh, maybe I'll give that a shot. So if you've taken the time to give me a review, thank you so much. You are awesome and you're doing great.